Amen. Good morning. Uh, it is good to see you here in the sanctuary this morning. It's good to have you join us online. Uh, we're delighted for all of it. Uh, we're thankful for those who are here. We're thankful for those that are online. Uh, it's just fantastic. Grow up. I don't know if you've heard that phrase ever before. Maybe you said it. Or, uh, don't be a baby. Maybe you've heard that. Don't be a baby. What we really mean when we use those phrases like grow up or don't be a baby, really what it means is we're talking to somebody who's, we're expecting to conduct themselves a certain way and it seems like they're not. They're not being mature. Uh, Maybe they're 30 and they're conducting themselves like they're 13. Of course, the 13-year-old's insulted by that. They're thinking, well, maybe they're 30 and they're acting like they're 3. Well, the same can be the case when we look at the church or a congregation. The church is also a living, breathing body. And the church also needs to grow and to develop and to, in essence, grow up. But what promotes growth? What promotes church growth? 50,000. That's the number. I entered, uh, went to Amazon, and I entered a search criteria church growth. And there were about 50,000 results, books and materials associated with church growth. Now, I didn't go through and vet all of them to see how relevant they were to church growth or what makes a church grow. But even if we cut that number in half, that would mean that there are 25,000 books on the subject. Now, when I ask you, uh, if you hear the phrase church growth or, uh, you know, growth of the church, uh, I wonder what comes to mind. What comes to mind when you think of that? Maybe uh, you're thinking of uh, numbers, attendance. Or maybe you're thinking of size, building, or, or even expertise. These strategies that these books talk about, the aims, the goals, these numbers uh, and, and statistics uh, or, or key performance indicators are strikingly similar to uh, the business community. Uh, I was a, a professional back in a previous life or two ago. I was a professional in the business community. I'm very familiar with these kind of KPIs, these, these metrics. And I, I know that uh, for some people, they have an aversion to anything that could look like or be similar to, to business metrics or whatever in the church, or thinking about attendance or size or those things. People have an aversion to that. And so for them, they prefer to just like keep, keep things simple, keep the church small. Other people really like this. In fact, they... Uh, 
could appear to be like marketers and promoters, and they like all of that kind of metrics and so on, and so they like big church and, and mega church. And in, incidentally, um, by the way, mega churches are not a new phenomenon. Uh, the, the mega church idea has been around in various forms for for centuries. Kimberly and I, when we were in Florence, uh, we saw the Duomo there, and it is massive, right in the center of the city. A lot of European cities have mega churches, so the mega church isn't that new. So, but but the question is that really what we're talking about when we are talking about growth or growing up? Is that what Scripture is really talking about? Now, we're in the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul has written to the church that's developing in Ephesus, and he's writing to them, and he gets to this point in the letter, uh, to, and to this subject of growth. And uh, it would really have resonated with the people in that church that is just starting and developing there in this city. It would have resonated with them. Now, they come from all kinds of different backgrounds. So they have, some people are into commerce. It's a city. They're into commerce. Some are agrarians. Uh, some are entrepreneurs. And the church that's developing there is actually literally growing in numbers. It is very literally a movement in the city, in the shadow of a massive temple, idolatrous kind of a cult. And so they, when, when Paul begins to talk about growth, they would get it. They would feel it. It would rev them up. Because they would sense, well, yeah, this is actually what's happening here. And maybe some of the people in their congregation would have, if coming from business or commerce or entrepreneurial, they'd be thinking, well, there's some business opportunities here, and maybe we need to develop that. And, and look, uh, they are making idols. Maybe we need to make some props, and maybe we need to compete. And Paul's writing, and he's essentially, he's urging the church. He's writing this letter, and he's urging the church in Ephesus. And it's in Scripture, so the, the Lord is intending to continue to urge the church to grow, to grow up. But it's interesting about this word grow or growth is that really it's a generic term. It's what I would call a bucket the word is actually a bucket. It needs to be filled with something because what it means is to increase or expand or further develop. But the question is, uh, increase in what? Expand in what? Develop in what? Well, that's where Paul gets specific and he urges, he pleads with the, 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 the people in Ephesus in this congregation to grow in love and Christ-likeness. To grow in love and Christ-likeness. That is the doing and the being. Now, there is a, a, a model or a, a rubric for maturity and growth. And I got this model back in my seminary days in Toronto from a Professor uh, Jeffrey Greenman. He is now a professor and president at Regent College. But it's this triangle of knowing, doing, and being. I want you to lock that in for a moment. So this is for a, a, a model for understanding how 
to mature as individuals and as a church. There's knowing, there's things we need to know, there's, there's doing things, actions, conduct, behavior, but then ultimately being. And what Paul is urging the church is to grow in love and to grow in being, to grow in Christ-likeness. So the question then is, to start with, what promotes growth in love and Christ-likeness? What do we need to know? And for that, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Here's what he writes. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience Bearing with one another in love. Making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is above all and through all and in all. Amen. Here's what you need to know, he says. There is one. What you need to know is that there is one. This decree that God is one is a decree that began in the Old Testament era, already from the very outset. And it was a decree uh, repeated in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, repeatedly, God is one. There is one God. But now Paul really expands the meaning of this. He gives seven ones. I want you to listen to this list. Look at this list. There is one body. Just think about this. There is one body. There is one church. There is one Spirit, one Holy Spirit, only one Holy Spirit. There is only one hope, fully, really. There is one Lord, one King. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God. Let that sink in for a moment. There is only one. He goes on in verse 6, verse uh, verse 7 rather. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. (laughs) He... He gave gifts to His people. Now, when it says He ascended, what does it mean but that He had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that He might fill all things. The gifts He gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. All of that, though, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, 
to the measure of the full stature of Christ Jesus. So there is one, but there are also many. There are many gifts. There are many roles. There are many functions. He lists them here. This list that he writes in, starting in verse 7 is an exhaustive list. But it's, the point is that there are many of these gifts and roles and functions. But they have a purpose. So there are differences. There are differences. But all of those, it is for a purpose. And the purpose is to aid in the growth and maturity of the body. To grow in the stature to become Christ-like. And then finally, he concludes this section in verse 14. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, We must grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Unity promotes growth in love. Unity promotes growth in Christ-likeness. Unity. It's what we need to know. It is our doing. It is our being. Unity is God's desire and His will and His doing for the church. And when the church is understanding this and aiming towards unity, it is also a way to safeguard a congregation from otherwise being vulnerable as a child, otherwise being vulnerable to what Paul talks about, the trickery of the world, the schemes of the world, the ideas being tossed around and flapping in the breeze with the different ideas and the sort of popular teachings uh, with, you know, even with what we're going through in this pandemic era about this way or that way and I do this and you do that and getting tossed around in the tides of the times like a baby afloat on the waves. And allowing things to disrupt unity. Unity safeguards against that kind of vulnerability. No wonder the enemy attacks and tries to divide. I had a a friend of mine back in my public school days. uh, For the sake of this, we'll, we'll call his name Marv. Marv was uh, a a tall guy already in elementary school. But then he got into middle school and Marv started shooting above us in height. Marv got to be pretty tall. By the time Marv got into high school, he was taller than pretty much almost everybody else. Now the thing about Marv is, he was a really nice guy. Marv was also a smart guy. But as Marv got taller, you know, some people, when they get taller, they get uncoordinated, 
right? They kind of get awkward and they start bumping into things because they're not used to the length of their, their arms and so on. But the thing about Marv is, as he got older, he got, he was nice, he was smart, but he also got really coordinated. And he got strong. So much so that Marv became an all-star basketball player. He became really good at basketball and actually volleyball. The reason is that as he grew, his character was excellent, he was intelligent, but it was because he began to practice and work on his coordination. He began to work on essentially the unity of his body. And I will tell you something. When a guy is six foot four or six foot five in high school and he is smart and strong and coordinated, there is very little that's going to get in his way. That was Marv. And Paul is saying, Church, be Marv. Character, intelligence, but coordinated unity, putting it together. Can you imagine a body, a congregation that is unified? When a church is unified, when a congregation is unified, listen, when Marv was growing up, you could recognize him and his family. You could see from his mannerisms who his dad and his mother were. So we are a church, we can be recognized by our mannerisms, how we conduct ourselves, and also by our function, by being unified, because the unity in a congregation reflects the unity of the Trinity, which is different, but one and the same as well. So it's that unity that has us look like the Trinity in mannerism and also in function. So when we are called by the Lord, we are called to be children of of God. Salvation is we are called to be His children, but we are called into a particular life. We are called into a particular way of life. We are called to live together in community. And it's a distinct community. It's not a community of sameness. The goal isn't to get everybody to think the way I do, eat what I do, dress the way I do. It isn't sameness. It necessarily can't be. The Lord has created all kinds of colors and shapes and sizes. It's wonderful. It's not sameness. In fact, what it means is unity is we're called into this distinct community of other-centeredness where we put down our interests and we consider the interests of others, which sounds a lot like Christ Jesus himself. And it's that other-centeredness and learning in community to learn how to live that way, to practice other-centeredness. That's that distinct community. And the unity isn't something that we manufacture. We can't make it up. Merv couldn't make up his his long arms or his height, what he did do and what we are called to do as the church is the unity is, Paul says, unity of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's desire, purpose, and will is for us to be united. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit. So then we as people 
yield and submit to the work and leading of the Holy Spirit who is speaking to us and we understand His will is for us to be united. And so we yield and submit to Him and His will and His work in our lives. It is that work. And here's the other thing, you know, a couple of weeks ago, somebody was asking me one of the questions when we were talking about diversity, as we understood it from Paul, and someone submitted this really good question. They asked, was uh, diversity, is that meant to be an aim or an outcome? And I had said at the time, listen, diversity is an outcome, but now listen to this, when it comes to unity, unity is both an aim and an outcome. The writer in Hebrews uh, urges us, I believe it's in chapter 12, but uh, no, it could be 8. He urges us to pursue peace, to pursue unity. Paul is urging us to pursue it. Pursue unity. So that means that unity isn't just, it's active. It's active. It's not that we acquiesce. It's not that we just give up or give in. It's active. For us to get along will mean that I will have to do some work. Right? It's active. It's creative. And it's, it's based on humility, not weakness. Don't let the world tell you that humility is weakness. Oh, Jesus described himself in Matthew chapter uh, 11 as being humble in heart. Philippians describes Jesus as being humble and obedient. So it requires us being active and creative. It requires humility to pursue unity, which is the will of the Holy Spirit. Finally, friends, I want to tell you that the church is for the the congregation. It is meant for us. We are in this community for us to grow. But the congregation, the church, is also for the world. It isn't separate. We are as much for each other and for the world. Because listen to me. Church, how we live together is the way that Christians interpret the gospel to the world. How we are together is how we interpret the gospel to the world. And the world is looking to the church to interpret what the gospel means. So the church is for the congregation and it's also for the world. And you know what is striking is that if we look at our vision statement, SEMC's vision statement, it's all there in this vision statement. Look at what it says. SEMC, we envision. SEMC is a safe place where people gather in Jesus' name. A place of openness and freedom to give and receive love and care. To share and pray with one another. We express ourselves to God honestly. And we are willing to be changed by Him. And then the second one. Gather, grow. We will grow as disciples. Becoming more like Jesus. As we pursue spiritual maturity. Based on the Bible. And then go. We will go. 
to our families, extended families, to our communities, and yes, as we saw around the world, to share the love, forgiveness, and grace of Jesus and live each day with honesty, integrity, and boldness through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all underneath gather, grow, go. I'm going to pause here for some Q&R. If you've got a question, you can uh, text or email to ask at semconline.com. You can write it in the comment section uh, of YouTube if you're on there right now. And we'll take a, a few minutes. If you uh, are here this morning and you have a question, um, you could just stand where you are and, and, and uh, ask your question and we'll, we'll try and uh, address it, respond to it. Uh, we're getting in the practice, uh, and uh, I just I saw uh, Robert move his hand. It's kind of like auctioning. If you move, I might ask. You might just buy the car if you, uh, if you move your hand, you get a question. Um, if you have one, by all means, ask it. Um, Jason, you've joined here uh, are you seeing something, or do you have some, some uh, question to start I got a off? couple for you. Okay, nice. Yeah, I got three. If, I mean, I'd be glad to have myself be interrupted by someone else with a good yeah. question. Yeah. But my first one was, uh, uh, what are some of the greatest barriers to unity that you see? Right. What are some of the barriers to unity? You know, uh, I, I, would, I would say that, again, I would reach to sort of the classic... Um, you know, human tendency that we've seen all through Scripture and that we see in, in regular daily life, and that is um, placing self at the center of everything. My interest, hmm. me. That's what makes it difficult to follow Jesus. It's what makes it difficult uh, for people to get along. The reality is that I do. Let's say I have an, idea, I have an opinion about... Uh, 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 something. Well, you have an opinion about something and it's different than my opinion. So now, how do we handle that? What do we do with that? So we see maturity, unity. Remember, unity. So I pursue unity. So does that mean that I have to have the same opinion as you or you have to have the same opinion as me? And it, I mean, there's a soprano, an alto, a tenor, and a bass. They're not all sopranos. So how do we actually dialogue? So the, the, the central thing that gets in the way is self-centeredness, self-importance. And the lie is that if I humble myself <clears throat> and I open up space for another person to have another opinion, but that we can still have communion together, the lie is that I'm being weak. When really, it's exactly the opposite. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that shows us what real power is all about, what strength is. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, are there, are there uh, just some really simple practical things that uh, the church can do to help build unity among us? Yeah, you know, that's another good, good one. Um, Jesus talks about, for example... Uh, in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 18. I, I, I talk about these as kind of like bookends. But let's say you have a disagreement with somebody. In Matthew 5, he says, look, if you know that somebody has something uh, against you or has a disagreement with you, 
Jesus says in Matthew 5, go and talk to that person. And in Matthew 18, he says, if you have an issue with somebody, you have a conflict with somebody, you're disagreeing with somebody. In Matthew 18, he says, go and, you go and talk to that person. I think a lot would be cleared up if we understand that there is actually one church. There's one baptism. There is only one faith. There is actually only one hope. That's in Jesus Christ. You can put your hope in all kinds of things. So then if we have a disagreement, the a real practical thing is understand that it's God's uh, uh, desire and will is for us to be able to get along. So I should go and talk with you. Not talk to anybody else first. Go and talk with you. And seek a way to be reconciled. To get along, not to be same. That's a huge practical step. I think a huge practical step. And understand that, there, that we can... I enjoy theological discussions. I enjoy lots of different theological discussions. But also recognize. I think a second point is recognize that there is a cosmic spiritual battle going on. If God's will is for unity, for example, in this pandemic... So if there is only one church, then we should not allow the world's views or any other thing to, to, to divide us or separate us or get us to attack or come against each other. If you believe you should wear a mask and another person believes they shouldn't wear a mask, okay, you hold that understanding, but do not ever, God's will is not for you to attack or put the other one down at all. And that, that idea is from this cosmic spiritual forces of wickedness. So, self, you know, practically speaking, speak to each other, talk with each other. Practically speaking, pay attention to the thoughts and ideas that you have and recognize when they're coming from the Holy Spirit and when they are coming from the spiritual forces of wickedness. Because, friends, do not be lulled into thinking we are not in a spiritual battle. We are. I've got one more. Okay. Uh, so living in this world full of, uh, I'm fa fasting from social media this, uh, yeah. Lent season, <laughs> partially because of what I see on there, but yeah. how do you know what to fight for? So let me finish the question. How do you know mm. what, what I should fight for and what I should lay down when mm. it comes to pursuing unity with people? Right. Very good. Yeah. What, what do we fight for and what do we lay down? Yeah. And so, uh, this is good. I, I think, again, um, at the center is, is got to be Jesus Christ and the cross. So he says, I am the way. He says, I am uh, the truth and the life. And so he is also the way. So what I would be fighting for, if there's only one church, then what I would be, my, my effort, my, uh, my activity is to uh, be concerned with the unity and the upholding of the church, for example. So when another church is going through a struggle... We pray for them and we're concerned for them, regardless of if their statement of faith is slightly different than ours. We do not engage with gossip and putting another part of the church down because there's only one church. Mm. We, we do that, right? Uh, these are the things. So when, when you see brothers fighting, you know, arguing or all of that, we understand that God's will is for unity. So inside the body of Christ, so we could then talk to someone and say, you know, if they're in the body of Christ and you see them having against somebody else, we could absolutely say, dude, or do that. <laughs> you know, the Lord wants us to be, live in peace. He wants us to have unity. Calling somebody names or having gossip or putting them down is not the will of the Lord. We need to, we need to have that kind of conversation as well, right? 
So there are, these are the kinds of things, you know, it is with Jesus Christ at the center, follow his way of conducting ourselves, and then understanding, in this case, the context of unity in the church. Uh, those are the kind of things to, 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 to fight for. Yeah. All That's right. all I have. Okay. Anybody else? Is there any... We'll, we'll just take another minute. I mean, this could be a, a, a good lengthy discussion. I know I'm kind of trying to keep the, the responses short, and they could be expanded. So then let me finish with this. Thanks, Jason. Uh, let me finish with this. I want to ask you, leave you with these questions. What is it, SEMC, and I know that we're, we're, we're dispersed right now, and that's okay, actually, for a time. The church is dispersed. We're learning how to be the church because the church isn't closed because it's people. So we're dispersed right now. Some are together. Some are different places. We're learning through this. What are some ways that we need to grow in maturity? What are some things that we can do to engender and cultivate unity? That's a question. What areas in your life personally or as a church that do you know of where you need to bring some reconciliation? Where you need to talk and bring peace and unity. Active, humble. And then finally, the third question is, in this Lent season, opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit, how will you communicate and listen to the Holy Spirit during this Lent season? During this time, these 40 days leading to the cross. Where the Holy Spirit is working powerfully. How will you open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit? Committing yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's grow.